Good evening, everyone. Uh, no need to introduce myself, so that's good. Uh, well done on making it here over the long weekend and anyone tuning in online. Uh, you too. If you're joining us randomly for the first time uh, after a little while, uh, we have been going through Ephesians, but we've taken two weeks in the holidays where another student minister and I, Jack, are doing a little uh, spotlight series on this well-known story of the Exodus, of God leading his people out of Israel, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and towards the Promised Land. And Jack really helpfully showed us that this whole Exodus story up until now has kind of been answering in many ways this one question, who is the Lord? We saw Pharaoh cry out, who is the Lord that I should obey him, that I should fear him? But by the end of the story, the Israelites and even the Egyptians knew who the Lord was. They cried out, this is the Lord, this Lord who delivers his people and delivers judgment on his enemies. So the question we're going to be thinking about today is kind of, why is knowing who the Lord is so good? How should we respond to knowing the Lord? I want to ask you to consider, if someone came up to you, it's a bit of a weird question, if someone came up to you and said, who do you know? Impress me. Who do you know? What would you reply? Well, maybe, who, who do you know that has been of the greatest benefit to you for knowing? The, when I thought of this question, I came up with the answer. Uh, I have access to many subscriptions. Disney+, Plus, KO, Optus Sport, Stan, Amazon. I, know, I own none of them. I pay for none of them. But I have access to them all. And it's because I know people. I know, I know the right people. They're, some of them are kind enough to extend it. Some of them are just foolish enough to log on that one time and I never log off. Um, but knowing people can come with, with great benefits. But, but here the Israelites, they've been taught the personal name of God. They now know the Lord as they leave Egypt. How should they respond? How will they respond? How should we respond as people who know the Lord? We're going to answer this question by examining the immediate response of Moses and the Israelites in the very next scene of the story where Jack left us off. I want you to imagine you're there. All the drama has now calmed down. The big tumultuous waves have settled into a gentle lapping on the shore. And if you were to look back, chapter 14, verse 30 says that you would see the still bodies of the Egyptians dead on the seashore. It's an unsettling image, isn't it? It's very foreboding. I wonder if you were reading the story up to this point and you didn't know what was coming, would you think now? Now's the time for the first ever song of praise to be recorded in the Bible. In the wake of this huge massacre of the Egyptian nation. And not just any song, but a, a joyous song, a song of praise to God and celebration. I, I think some of us would say it doesn't feel right to put that here. It's been said that we Anglicans have a tense relationship with song at the best of times. Thanks for laughing. Um, but as we see, as we see these events of judgment, take place, 
and God says, this is who I am right here, our society will say, well, that's disgusting, it's embarrassing, it's outdated, it should be left behind. But the Israelites, God's people, the people who have experienced his salvation, will they sing praises to God? That's my hope, is that we could look on this, that we could look at what our God has done, and we also could really be moved in our hearts to sing praises. So, before we go any further, I'm going to pray that God would help us to that effect. Heavenly Father, we do find it hard uh, to consider your ways all the time as good. Society would have us believe something else. Help us see, Lord, that you are good, that you judge those who deserve to be judged, and you save us, your people, and move our hearts to sing praises to you because of this. Amen. We're going to look at today's, today's passage with, surprise, surprise, three points. We're going to look that we should be singing looking backwards, we sing looking forwards, and indeed we sing into eternity. So first of all, we sing looking backwards, and I'll, I'll say straight up, this is the longest point. So when this one goes for a while, don't worry, they're not all this long. Let's have a look at verse 1 and think about singing looking backwards. As I uh, semi-joked about, uh, it's, it's clear, we at St. Thomas's have a different relationship to singing as our charismatic or Pentecostal brothers and sisters. Uh, it's clear the moment you walk into the church. I don't want to so much think about them, I want to think about us this evening. And I, I think it's fair to say that we can believe that singing, we're a bit hesitant if it gets too emotional. Or maybe we just, we prefer rational sound, biblical thought and exegesis. That's enough. That will move us. Uh, the classic phrase, we don't want to have our emotions manipulated. Perhaps maybe you feel uncomfortable when a bit too much is done up the front or too much is focused in on our music ministry. It's not really the important thing. It's the Bible, the prayers, the preaching. That's what we're on about. I've wrestled with this as my, uh, during my time at this church. I think one of the things that we should see, however, is that as you go through the Bible, the pictures of singing are just these momentous celebrations in praise of God. They're huge. They're, they're anything but stifled. More than anything, it seems to be songs that God uses to mark momentous, significant points in the Bible. It'd be a rainy day exercise, maybe, to go and look at all the songs in the Bible and see at what point God decides now is a time for singing. There are calls in the Bible to use every single instrument under the sun in praise to God, for the whole earth to sing to God. And if you were at our home house party, remember, there was a call for us to sing to one another in hymns, psalms, spiritual songs as a service to one another. Singing is not an insignificant part of the Christian life. But how exactly should we do it? I think the first word of our passage here establishes the pattern of song that continues all throughout the Bible, and it continues for us today. Have a look at verse 1 with me. I hope you have your Bible open or on your phone. In verse 1, it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel began to sing. I want to say, first and foremost, we sing in response to God's actions. We sing first and foremost, looking backwards. We do not sing, as unfortunately some do and wrongly do, 
to move God, to act upon God. We don't sing to bring God's presence closer to us. We don't sing to somehow activate a blessing or a response from God that we otherwise wouldn't have. No, we don't sing to move God. It's, it's actually quite the opposite. If you remember the night before, before the Israelites had been led across the sea, Jack showed us how the Israelites, as the, as the Egyptians pursued them, cried out to God, we don't want to serve you. Just let us serve the Egyptians. We'll go back with them. We don't trust you to get us through this. At this time, the cries were not joyful songs of praise. They were fickle songs of betrayal, cries of betrayal. But it, but it was in that moment, it was in the moment where their cries were not pleasing to God, but displeasing to God, that he gave them the comforting experience of his presence in the pillar of fire. It was in response to that that God gave them the full blessing of his salvation and led them across the Red Sea. And it was not until then, then, that Moses and the Israelites began to sing. And they sang not to move God, but because rather they looked back, they saw the actions of God, and God's actions were so great that God moved them to sing, to praise him. I think this is the key to understanding singing rightly. This is, this is it. And once you get this, once you get that you are not acting upon God, but responding to God, I think we should feel free to sing as loudly, as passionately, as emotionally, as spectacularly as we are able. Because our God is worth it. In fact, not only can we, I think we should. We should sing to our God. We want our hearts to be filled with rejoicing and praise in song because so great are the actions of our great God that we can look back on. That's about singing. Let's consider exactly what the Israelites were looking back on as they sang. In verse 1 to 2, if you read it with me, is kind of the introduction to the song. Verse 1, it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. In the song, the Israelites sing because of God's triumph. Make no mistake, they sing because Israelite horses, Israelite people were thrown and drowned and drowned in the sea. It, it's really important that we see this, that they are not abstracting God's judgment out of his character before they praise him. They're, they're not looking at this act of judgment, sweeping it under the rug awkwardly and then praising God for his love alone. I feel like we, we sometimes do this maybe with, maybe there's an awkward family member who comes to your Christmas dinners and they just say all the politically incorrect stuff and they just keep going on and everyone's kind of like, yeah, just ignore him, don't worry, just, just kind of... But I feel like we can treat God the same in these moments. But as the Israelites sing, they are not embarrassed. Quite the opposite. Did you see in verse 2, they say, The Lord is my strength, my song, my salvation, my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. 
The Lord is theirs, the God that has revealed himself in this way. The God who is even in verse 3, a man of war. They aren't embarrassed of this characteristic of God. They rejoice in it. So how can this be? I think, I think this is the question that our world is asking. How can they rejoice in God's judgment? Well, we saw in verse 2, they call God their salvation. After all, if we think about, again, what Jack told us, he has taken them out from under the subjugation of their oppressors. And not simply their oppressors, but Jack, Jack really helpfully showed us these oppressors, these oppressors were people who tortured the Israelites enslaved them, killed them, even to the point of mass murdering infants. The, the fear the Israelites felt towards the, Egyptian, the Egyptians was really warranted. The fear was marked by scars on their bodies and missing family members around their dinner tables. It, it had clouded over them for centuries. Exodus says for 400 years the people lived in the land. But now, thank you, thanks to the judgment of the Lord, that fear was suddenly no more. I mean, can you, can you imagine this? It's, it, it wasn't like held at arm's length or like gone for a moment that might return. Gone forever, lying dead on the seashore. How can the Israelites sing about the devastating judgment of God? I think it's because they, they see and we have to see Judgment and salvation are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. And both are good, good things. God had said this the previous night, but the Israelites had not seen it. In chapter 14, verse 13 to 14, God had said to Moses, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Salvation. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Judgment. Why? Because the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to remain silent. The Lord is a man of war. It's not until now, however, looking back afterwards, that the Israelites fully come to realize this truth. That their God is a man of war, and he fights for them. Anything that might oppress them, enslave them, he fights against. He judges harshly. And so I hope it's beginning to make sense how they can sing these verses with joy. Have a look at verses 4 to 12 with me. We'll go through them quickly. Verses 4 to 6 pits Pharaoh and his best against God's right hand. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Verses 7 to 8 show the Israelites had delight in the fact that this was a no contest. It wasn't close. There's such joy that the Egyptians never stood a chance. Verse 7 and 8, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. They were like stubble to God. 
small, powerless objects blown by the wind. The wind that came from his nostrils was all that he needed. There was never a chance that the Israelites did not receive their salvation. There was never a chance of evil winning. Verse 9 retells the story of the night before. When the Egyptians pursued the Israelites uh, on the other side of the Red Sea, the, the Israelites had been racked with fear and despair. But now, now that they know who the Lord is, they look back upon that same moment and they almost laugh at the Egyptians challenging God. In verse 9, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In the face of the Egyptian challenge, in hindsight, looking back, they realize they they should have felt safe and secure. Because now they see with rejoicing, there is none, there is none like this Lord, none who can stand up to him. And so the Israelites sing looking back. They see the terror that awaits not them, but the enemies of their Lord, the man of war. And they feel the overwhelming comfort and peace that he is fighting for them. The man of war who fights to save his people. We sing looking back. Let's have a look at verses 13 to 16, and we can consider how we sing looking forward. For we have to remember the Israelites are not done and dusted yet. They're actually in between a rock and a hard place, the sea and the desert. They're on the edge of the wilderness, and God's promised realities are still so far away. There are foreign nations in the way, and even in the land itself are some, of, are some people that could be worse than the Egyptians themselves. But did you notice these verses were framed by this deeply personal language? It starts in verse 13. It says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. And it ends at the end of verse 16. It says, Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. At the beginning of Exodus, the Israelites did not even know God's name, the Lord. But here they rejoice in this new, amazing revelation. God loves them. God has redeemed them. He has purchased them. He has made them his people. And I, I think we can get what they're feeling here because have you, had any, have you ever had someone invest in you? They give up their time. They love. They care for you. They come into your life and truly invest in you and you just feel secure, loved. It's, it's when someone could have stayed distant, they could have ignored us, but they come into the messiness of our lives and they, they take on burdens that aren't theirs to take. They walk through awful times with us. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. You feel this is someone who I feel safe with, who I can trust, who I know loves me and is for me. This, I think, is the knowledge and the emotions that's bursting out of the Israelites during this song. As they look forward, they think about what God has shown them. 
God has got involved in, in their messy lives. They heard, he heard their cries. And they're thinking, we're his. We're his without a doubt. And if we're his, God will look after us. With this revelation in mind, the Israelites look forward and it changes everything. These journeys through foreign nations, through foreign lands, to the promised land of God, it changes everything. I wonder if you remember the night before, in Jack's uh, leading us through the story, we saw the fear of the Israelites, particularly towards the foreign nation of the, uh, the Philistines. In chapter 13, verse 17, you can have a look at it. God intentionally says, I'm not bringing them near the nations of the Philistines, for once they are scared that war will arise, they will have fear and they will turn back. Israel at that time felt small and vulnerable and weak. They saw that there was no way in the world that they could protect themselves against any external threat. But do you see the difference in them now? Now that they have seen who God is, they know that they don't go into those nations alone, defenseless, helpless, but as God's purchased, redeemed, chosen people, and God would fight for them, brutally, devastatingly fight for them. And so instead, they sing of the nations ahead of them that might stand in the way, and they start with the Philistines, they're the people from Philistia, and they look forward and they sing. Starting at verse 13, they sing, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab and all the inhabitants of Canaan, who are the people living in the promised land. Have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. It's an amazing change. They are no longer fearful, but they are astonishingly confident, amazingly sure. Do you notice they sing in verse 13 in the past tense? They are not yet safe home dry, as we said. They are still between a rock and a hard place, the sea and the desert. But they sing as if God has already done these things, already led them, already guided them to his holy abode. Even though they are still in the wilderness by the sea, they sing with such certainty. And their, their certainty, where does it come from? It's because they know now. They know that God is a man of war. He will save the people he loves. He will judge anyone who would try to harm them. He will defend them. And so they sing that there is nothing to fear at all. So completely have they seen the Lord's power, might, majesty, judgment, and salvation. These nations are nothing. And so they sing looking forward. They sing, know sing knowing that nothing can truly stand in their way because they are the chosen, redeemed people of God. And as, a, as we've seen, he is a man of war. The final point, verses 17 and 18, we sing this song into eternity. Verse 17 and 18 say, you'll bring them in 
and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. The nature of this salvation is not temporary. In Egypt, the Israelites were not in a pickle, needing a quick fix that God so happened to pick up on air tasker. He doesn't plan to drop them off in the promised land and then move on to other God errands. No, the Israelites rejoice that the salvation of the Lord is forever. And it's not just in some land that is good, but it's in the land that God himself calls home. The glory and majesty, the joy, the beauty, the safety of the Lord himself will dwell with his people and he will reign forever. There will never be a time when God is not there will never be a time where he fails to deliver salvation to his people. There will never be a time where someone can challenge his rule and threaten his reign. In this place, God will live, and where he lives, he will plant those whom he loves, whom he has purchased for his own, and they will never have need for fear ever again, never have need for weeping or mourning or crying or pain. What an amazing thing the judgment of God has brought about, that the judgment of God will bring about. What an amazing thing to sing about. In fact, I made this point, we sing this into eternity because not only do the Israelites sing about it as a future eternal reality, but this song they will sing for eternity. To see this, I think it'd be helpful if you have a Bible to turn to our second passage. Uh, Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. We won't do a second sermon on these verses, don't worry. However, we must ask, this is a great story. The Israelites, through the Red Sea, the song, God, that's great. How does it affect us? What has it got to do with us? Let me point out a few things from Revelation that I think are profoundly helpful with answering this question. First of all, I hope you saw, as Sally was reading them, that the two passages are definitely linked, aren't they? Just, just quickly, we see mentions of plagues in Revelation being poured out, like in Egypt, an enemy that has been conquered, like at the Red Sea, a group of saved people singing beside a sea. And if it wasn't clear enough, have a look at verse 3. In Revelation 15:3, it says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. I hope we all now know what the song of Moses is. Uh, we've been looking at it. But what is this song of the Lamb? Who is the Lamb? The Lamb is referring to Jesus Christ. But in particular, it's referring to Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross, taking upon himself the punishment the sins of the world as the sacrificial lamb of God. And what I believe it's saying is that we in heaven, we today, sing and will sing the same song of Moses with the same themes, the same ideas, but not looking back just upon the Red Sea, but looking back upon Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We sing looking at the cross And seeing that when our lives were slaves to sin and death, God got involved in our mess. 
In the messiness of our lives, as we ourselves were enemies with God, deserving judgment, he took it upon himself with great, great love to make us his own, to rescue us. As we sing and we think back to Jesus dying and rising to new life, see that he is waging war against sin and death. For nothing, I don't believe, has enslaved and pained humanity more than death itself. We know this is true. And death, the Bible teaches us, is born from the sinfulness of the human heart, of the sin that we have in our hearts. It's that desire to be against God, not with Him. It's a desire that deserves judgment. But these great problems of humanity, sin and death, Jesus Christ went to war with them at the cross and He vanquished them. You don't see judgment and salvation closer together than when you look back at Jesus on the cross. There is no judgment, there is no salvation without judgment. He rose to life after death, and amazingly, just a few chapters later, Revelation 20:14 tells us that death itself is cast into this sea. This is how amazing the actions of Jesus were on the cross. When we look back in our Exodus story and look back to the sea, we don't see Egyptians dead on the shore. We see death itself dead on the shore, unable to touch us, never to come for us again. We know that Jesus will take us safely through death. And we also sing looking forward, don't we? In many ways, we here today are still in the wilderness between a rock and a hard place. We're not in heaven yet. There is still pain and hardship, still loneliness and abuse. All these things that would threaten to, seek, to, threaten to tempt us to doubt God, to harm us, to enslave us. But we sing looking forward. And I hope you can join with me in saying, and it's hard sometimes, no matter how insurmountable those things seem, no matter how scary those things are that you want to start doubting God, I encourage you, turn and sing the song of Moses. Sing the song of the Lamb. Look back on Jesus Christ and all he did to make you his and see that there is nothing that can stand up to this man of war. All those things, they are doomed doomed for judgment. They will be destroyed. If Jesus has crushed death, he will crush poverty. If he has crushed death, he will crush depression. If he has crushed death, he will crush loneliness. If he has crushed death, he will crush sickness. God is a man of war and he will crush anything that seeks to subject his people. We sing like they did, don't we? Like he's already done these things. That is not because we believe we are living in heaven today, but because we have confidence like the Israelites did. For one day, hear this, for one day we will sing all together as one in the eternal dwelling place of God in heaven. Firmly planted in God's presence. Have a look at the very first verse of Revelation 15 if you have it open in front of you. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. 
Friends, brothers and sisters, the wrath of God one day will be finished. There will be nothing left to judge. Complete justice will have been carried out and devastatingly, brutally, mercilessly, God will judge every bit of evil. And we will have nothing left to do on that day but sing of just how great our God is for all eternity. And so what does it mean to know who the Lord is? Salvation and judgment. But it is a beautiful thing, a joyful thing, a sure thing, knowing who the Lord is. Let me pray to finish for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can look back and see Jesus on that cross, not because he deserved it, but because we did. Thank you that you got involved in the mess of our lives and you made us your people. Thank you that we can trust you with every challenge, every battle, every hurdle that lies ahead in our lives. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, come and take us into that day where we sing forever, free from all things. Amen. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go on for ages now. I just thought there's no better way to apply this song than to sing. And I want to encourage you. We sometimes have long days. Our minds drift off. Really, the first words of this, I cast my mind to Calvary. I encourage you, cast your mind to Calvary. Look back. And then the, the, the chorus of this song is just praise. Look back and praise. I really encourage you to do that just now. Stand and sing. Yes, thank you. <laughs>